a really quick and exciting announcement to make. The Menopause and Cancer podcast is now also on YouTube, and I'm so excited that more people now get to watch our conversations. So the link to the YouTube channel is in our show notes. Please go and subscribe to the channel so that more people who need to hear our conversations are able to find them. Thank you. Hi, I'm Danny Bennington and welcome to my podcast. This podcast is for anyone who's been affected by cancer and menopause. I'll be speaking to special guests and menopause experts to help us find solutions to our symptoms and of course address the greater picture. We're going to talk about everything from mental health to physical health, sexual health to bone health and everything in between. Nothing is off limits. Welcome. my lovely amazing community of wonderful humans out there how are you today I am um, I've had a really busy day today I met a group of volunteers it's amazing isn't it I have so many people reach out to me saying Danny how can we help I'd love to connect you to people who have venues for your next um, project maybe have a launch party for the new not-for-profit menopause and cancer that you founded Women saying, I want to get involved. I want to become an ambassador. I want to write some articles for your new website. And it's just incredible. Our community of women, it's just incredible. And I think it all comes down to women knowing that we're such an underserved lot, that we have so not been heard and listened to, but also that managing menopause after cancer hasn't really been on anyone's forefront and it's not anyone's real fault but we all realize now there is so much we can do so many ways in which we can advocate for ourselves and so I think a lot of people and women are feeling right I'm going to get in there and I'm going to be part of this and I can't thank you enough and if you're listening to this now and you're thinking I want to get involved and just email me and I'm sure we can work something out together so many of you have so many amazing careers and expertises in different areas. And gosh, bringing all of us together is certainly something very exciting. And we can do great things together. Today on the podcast, I am joined by Elizabeth. And Elizabeth Sherman is a master certified menopause health and life coach. And what she really wants to do is help women improve their relationships with themselves, their bodies, with food and exercise. And when I first come across Elizabeth, I really loved so many elements of her work because we talk about finding better health and feeling better when we're navigating menopause after a cancer diagnosis. We have experts on talking about the perfect diet. We had uh, Dr. Sarah Ball on talking about all the research she's done about diet and menopause. We have experts from so many different fields trying to help us feel better, right? That's what we're trying to do through the episodes, through the conversations, so that we can all go away and then have our own conversations with ourselves, with our doctors, with other people around us, helping us come to an optimized state of health and well-being. But Elizabeth and I want to talk about what does actually, what does this actually mean for all of us? And have we been socialized maybe to dislike ourselves? Lots of really big questions I want to tackle. I also want to talk about how we feel once we've been diagnosed and we try and embark on new habits, how we often feel guilty when we don't sustain these newly found habits. 
And I also want to talk about what does it mean to be a woman? What are our expectations? And then layer on top of that a cancer diagnosis and menopause. Where do we stand and where do we see ourselves going? So lots of amazing questions. And within anything today, I want this episode to be a real food for thought episode for you so that you walk away asking yourself some questions. Because I know when I speak to Elizabeth, I feel like I'm just unboxing heaps and heaps of learned behavior and really looking and trying to understand where I'm at and where I want to be going. An exciting episode and I hope you enjoy it. Elizabeth, I'm delighted that you are giving me some of your time today for the podcast. Welcome. Thanks for having me. This is going to be so fun, Danny. I love your content. I love what you're all about. I love your clips on Instagram. I love your own podcast. And there are so many things we could talk about. And I'm hoping that whatever people do at home now, whether they walk their dog, whether they do their dishes, <laughs> that they find your information as helpful as I do. When we talk about our health going forward into menopause after a cancer diagnosis, we always talk about really optimizing our well-being and health. And when you and I have spoken about this just before pressing record, we kind of thought, well, what does that mean to different people? <laughs> what does optimal health mean to you? So, well, first of all, let me say that the content that we're talking about today is actually really personal. And I want to start out with a little bit of my story. Cancer, even though I haven't had a diagnosis, the reason that I do what I do is because of my mother's uh, diagnosis. So my mom passed away when I was 31 years old. So in 2001, and that was the first time that I really saw my future happening in real time. Like I could see what she was going through. And I understood that if I didn't make some changes in my own life, that I would be going down that same path. And so that allowed me to shift. So for that reason, I started researching, how do I not get cancer? What are some of the things that I can do? And at the time I was overweight, I wasn't eating properly. And I really saw that those were some of the things that could indicate, you know, could be a risk factor for a future diagnosis. And even though we know that you can do all of the right things and still get a diagnosis, I wanted to do as much as I could to help myself. Since then, I've been tested for the gene, the BRCA1 and 2 genes, and I don't have them. So I feel somewhat confident that I'm doing everything that I can. But that being said, I think that optimal health, no matter what stage of life or diagnosis you are in, is going to look very different. What I tend to think about optimal health is how do you become the healthiest for your lifestyle and for your body at this point? So regardless of whether you're going through chemotherapy, regardless of whether you're just getting a diagnosis, regardless of whether you've been treated and are cancer-free for the past five years, really being able to tap into and acknowledge where is my body today and how can I help it to be the healthiest that it can be? 
because that's going to be different for every stage in our lives, whether we're 20, whether we're 30, whether we're 50, 70, and beyond. So it's really accepting where our body is right now, understanding what its limitations are, not wishing that it was, you know, five years ago, the body that it was five years ago, and understanding what I can do right in this moment to take care of the future version of myself, the version that my body will be tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. And that is really quite interesting when you say that, because when I think about what is my sort of feeling towards my optimal health, that is being the best version I've ever been. So if you said to me, Danny, what's I mean, I I kind of know that sounds ridiculous now saying it, but I'm going to say yeah. it to you. If you say, what does your optimal version of health look like? Then I'll be marathon running. I'll be <laughs> weightlifting. Mm. I'll be eating really well. I will feel amazing. I will never have brain fog. I will jump out of bed with abundance of energy and I'll have energy for 15 hours in my day. But that is an illusion, clearly. And that is really <laughs> hard to sustain. And what is much more realistic is to think, well, who are who am I today? And what does optimal health mean for me today? And I think I've made that mistake a few times in my journey that I've looked and wanted to be a rose-tinted version of an older self that I'm never yes. going to be again. She's long gone. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, yes. And so I wonder if people at home, just from the off chance, making this an active listening podcast rather than something that's just absorbing, they can really think to themselves now, what does optimal health mean for them today? Rather than maybe we're sort of drifting in an illusion here. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, I see it with my clients a lot. So my podcast name is done with dieting. So I work a lot with women who are done with dieting. They just want to be a healthier version. They want to find out what does health look like for me? without the prescribed diet. And I see this a lot with women in midlife that they're like, well, I used to be able to do this diet when I was 20 or 30 years old. So, and it worked really well for me at that time. So it should work for me now. And we all think that we're the same person that we were. And, you know, technically in terms of personality type, we are, but our bodies are so incredibly different. Our bodies are, you know, 10 years older or five years older, or they've gone through treatment and they work differently now. They have hormones that weren't disrupting us before. And so really being able to step back and say, okay, so that diet or that way of eating or that exercise regimen, that, that those set of lifestyle habits that I had before worked for that time in my life when I didn't have small children or I did have small children and now I have adult children. So really being able to understand that not only is your body different, but your lifestyle is different. Like what are the demands going on in your life that are pulling your attention and really being able to respect that and be with it? Yeah. And we had exactly that conversation yesterday. I sat in a women's circle of 10 amazing women and they are part of my Empowered Menopause program. And we sort of set our visions. What do we want out of the next six months or four months of working together? And 
people put down what their struggles are and how they would like to overcome them. And when we analyzed it, hardly a third was to do with their cancer and their menopause. Everything else was exactly what you've just addressed. Elderly parents, young children, changes in jobs, changes in career. So many things of our life aspects have changed. The mm -hmm. problem is our expectation on ourselves hasn't changed. And so all of us women together, we had the same expectations towards ourselves. And that would mean we have to bounce back into good health after a cancer treatment really quickly. We have to carry you know, all of the family, all of the responsibilities immediately. And so it's a lot. Everyone listening to this, we've gone through an awful lot. Life has changed. And we haven't really adapted our emotions and our compassion towards ourselves, have we really? No. And, you know, I love that you brought that up because, you know, I think about it as a younger woman, like I knew that menopause was coming, but I didn't really think much about more than like the symptoms that you typically hear about, like hot flashes and night sweats and maybe insomnia. They, no one talks about the other stuff, but what's way more impactful is exactly what you said. Every single part of our lives is changing. Our family dynamic is changing. Many women are having empty nest syndrome. I say empty nest syndrome. Lots of joy goes along with that too, but they're experiencing empty nests. Their parents are starting to need them more. So their family dynamic is changing. And therefore their relationship with their primary partner is changing as well. Their friend groups are changing because of that empty nest situation. They're no longer having friendships out of convenience where they go to the soccer games or soccer practice and meet other parents. And so they're having to find friendships that are actually nurturing and one of my clients said something to the effect of, I'm tired of having Chardonnay and artichoke dip conversations. Yeah. I love that. Like, yeah, we want more meaningful conversations because of how our body, and this is actually something physiological that many of the women, when we go through menopause, our estrogen drops. And there's research to suggest that as younger women, we were very people-pleasing. We wanted people to like us. We wanted people to approve of what we were doing. And so we went around being very nice. And so as we go through menopause, many women find that they no longer edit themselves when someone says something like offensive, or they just have no filter anymore. And that actually could be the estrogen because we no longer need to make babies. We no longer need to self-preserve. And so therefore we don't need other people to approve of us anymore. It's just fascinating. Fascinating. And I'm such a big believer that the more often we can tell people to sort off and get lost <laughs> or to shut up, Right. <laughs> whatever it is it's much more authentic because we're honoring our boundaries right exactly and, but one thing you've just touched on was the word change mm -hmm. and I want to go back to that because okay. on top of the changes you've just mentioned we've then got the additional change that many people may be left 
their jobs because of cancer treatment or they had a break, they have to go back to it. And then we sit with a lot more uncertainty of the future. The other changes that happen to us are really physical. New scars, I had so many surgeries, I've got so many new scars, a real dislike of my new body image. I've really struggled for a long time of not even befriending, of accepting my new body image. Um, Many women have had a double mastectomy. We have so many belly scars, deep flap reconstructions. People have hair loss. And then weight gain happens perhaps later on in menopause. and, And that is years after active cancer treatment finished. And our body still feels so changed. And again, we want to go back to who we were before. And I know from talking about you or with you before that you also think this is not just to do with cancer and menopause. This is a bigger problem we have as women. Yeah. Right? So that we almost have been socialized to dislike ourselves. But what do we do if we really started to really dislike our bodies after treatment? Well, okay. So let's start with the beginning. We women are socialized to believe that our primary purpose is to be attractive. Men are socialized to be successful. Men are socialized that if they are successful, they will attract an attractive, beautiful woman, right? Whereas a woman is socialized to believe that our attractiveness will then attract a successful man. And so as young women, we are taught that being attractive, being quiet, being submissive, being anything but a nice girl, right? How many of us were taught as young girls, be a nice girl. And then what happens is we grow up and we become nice women. I looked up the definition of nice not too long ago. And the definition, one of the definitions, synonyms was satisfactory. I know. (laughs) I want to be satisfactory. (laughs) And so we've grown up to be this nice person who doesn't make waves, who just people pleases and is a perfectionist who doesn't receive judgment. And so judging is like one of the things that we hate. We think other people are doing all of the time to us. So going back to attractiveness from a young woman, attractiveness equals thinness. And so as young women, We are also taught to not pay attention to our bodies from a feeling standpoint. So we go around like these headless women with all of this stuff going on in our heads. Like we're overthinkers. We're constantly overthinking a problem that we have or an interaction that we had with someone else. What are they thinking about us? We're avoiding judgment, right? And we're not paying attention to our body. In fact, many diets that many women go on tell us, oh, don't pay attention to your body. Like, oh, you're not hungry. Drink some water. And so what happens then is we go around 
eating to someone else's rules, as opposed to how food makes us feel, we stop paying attention to our, our emotional state. And we just go on like autopilot. And what happens is we have these food rules, right? We have categories of good foods and bad foods. And then we feel bad about ourselves when we eat the quote unquote bad foods, like a cookie or ice cream. And we know on a very intellectual level that it should be okay to eat a cookie once in a while. It should be okay to go out with your kids or grandkids and have ice cream and not beat yourself up about it. However, none of us do that. When we have the cookie, we're like, oh, that cookie, that cookie was bad. Maybe next week you can have a cookie, but this cookie was bad. So all of this starts the, the negative body image, the war that each of us has within our heads about our bodies. We eat and we exercise to control our bodies. The media shows us what attractive bodies are. Just recently, Martha Stewart was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and it took me a really long time to figure out why that bothered me. And it bothered me because here we are going again saying, this is the female ideal. This is what you want to look like when you're 80. We look to the media to tell us what we should be looking like. And so when you have scars, you don't see models. You don't see Instagram influencers showing off their scars. And so, of course, your body is different than the bodies that you're seeing other people show. And only recently have we got into body positivity and body neutrality, which actually so many women think that, so let's say that I look at myself at myself in the mirror, I'm in the a public bathroom with a girlfriend and I look at myself and I go, oh, I'm just so fat. My girlfriend is going to say to me, you shouldn't say that. You should love your body, right? But after I've said, I feel fat or I look fat or I'm gross or whatever it is that's going on in my head, for me to overlay that with, I, my body is beautiful. My body is, you know, amazing. I love myself. It's inauthentic. Mm. So where a better place to go to, and I have a podcast episode on this is body neutrality. And when we talk about body positivity, we're also looking at appearance Body neutrality is really more about the functionality of your body. So for all of the listeners right now, really, instead of feeling resentful towards your body that your body got cancer, what about being grateful to your body that your body was able to overcome it and is doing an amazing job right now with the help of medicine? like really being able to look at those scars and appreciate everything that your body has gone through. Like that's where we really want to go with it. 
And so I know that I took a long winding path there. Maybe we can unpack some of that. It's so great. And I would love to unpack because the nice girl, that's yeah. really sort of sat a little bit with me because I totally hear you. I mean, I don't want to be satisfactory. And and I remember and still am at point, I want to be a nice woman as well. I want to be liked and I want to say the right thing and I want to do the right thing. And I'm a mother. To well, okay. Teenage. Let me interrupt you for just a second. Here's the funny thing about that. We want to be the nice girl, but very rarely are we kind to ourselves and therefore to other women around us. And so for 2023, my word of the year has been kindness. And so I am prioritizing self-kindness over anything else. Sorry, I needed to. Yeah, no, I love that. Because also I'm a mother to three teenage daughters. And of course, we have the whole conversation about food, about exercise, about body image. They're on TikTok all the time. They're using social media. And gosh, I just think their world is so distorted about Mm. body image. And they're growing up into exactly a distorted version, almost, of body image and what they should look like already. And so I'm thinking if we have this and then we layer on the scars, the surgery we've had, um, the many years menopause, how that makes us feel even years after, it is really difficult to come to a place of acceptance. And Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that body positivity image always sits right with me either, because what I never really think is amazing is for people showing how many cakes they can eat, because of course we should all be able to eat cake But we also know at the same time that being overweight isn't helpful. And so I'm a little bit in conflict sometimes with the whole body positivity scene that is out there for for lots of different reasons. But I love the idea of body being body neutral of what you said. And that's never come across just saying we don't need to be positive about our body because that might have been a step too far for me along the line. But also Mm -hmm. I don't need to be so negative. But can I be neutral? And that's really interesting, I think, that thought. Well, yeah. And it's all the socialization and sexualization that we have of women. Like, you don't tell men that they should love their bodies. Men don't care about their bodies. They're completely neutral about their bodies. So why should You're right. It's much less of a thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And we're constantly judged for how we look. Um, Every prime minister (laughs) is judged for how she looks, for how she appears in newspaper. You'd never do that to, I don't know, Boris Johnson, maybe about his hair, but you know. (laughs) Right. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And I have another podcast on this. Oh gosh, which one? I think it's about food and body judgment. I think it's episode number, I'm going to guess 119, somewhere around there, maybe 120. Um, And One of the questions that I've really been asking myself when I find myself judging myself or someone else is who decided that? So like, for example, when we have this idea of what a 50-year-old body should look like, I like to ask myself, well, who says? Like, who says that that's what a body should look like? Like, this is what my body does look like. And so is my body wrong? Like, who decided that? Yeah, it's stupid, right? It's like throwing out the rule book and yeah. Exactly. Mm. And that's the whole thing is a lot of the questions that we never asked ourselves before 
is who decided that? And something that my clients come to me about is like other stuff other than health. So like they're having conflicts with their partner or a friend or something like that. And so we have all of these judgments going back to the good girl about how we should act in a friendship or how we should be in our marriage or how we should be as mothers. Who decided those rules? It wasn't you. And so when you can decide, what do I want friendship to look like for me? What do I want marriage to look like for me? How does that work for me? How does parenting work for me? Then we can be so much happier because then we don't have to abide by other people's rules because they're not the ones that are suffering the consequences of our life, our life choices. Other people are always going to have opinions. Before we got on the call today, I was telling you that my husband and I had moved to Mexico. People had lots of opinions about us moving to Mexico. Some people were like, why would you do that? And other people were like, that's great. And so when we can figure out, like, we are the ones who suffer our own consequences. And so therefore, it's in my best interest to like do whatever it is that I want to do. You will feel so much freer. And what I love about this conversation, I think it's going to spark many different emotions in lots of different people that are listening to our conversation today. Sure. Because we are all so differently wired, our upbringing, we have been conditioned to believe different things, and they'll be very different for so many of us. So I'd be so interested to hear from anyone listening who wants to maybe write in, write me an email, just hit reply. I put the email into the show notes of what they were thinking what they were sort of sparked to investigate. One thing that comes with the many changes a cancer diagnosis brings with it, the many physical and emotional changes, the body image we've just sort of touched on. Many people want to make changes in their lifestyle. Me personally, I always thought that perhaps the life I led before cancer resulted in me getting cancer. And I realized this is a very heavy responsibility to carry. And like you said in the beginning, cancer can happen to anyone, even if we do everything right. But I couldn't help but think I want to change my lifestyle to better my chances of being healthier and lowering my risks of a recurrence. And with that came food changes, uh, lifestyle changes like exercise, meditation, yoga, mindfulness, all of those things. But then a lot of guilt came in when I wasn't able to sustain those changes. Mm. And I know you talk about that a lot in your work. Can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So here's what I do with my clients. So I talked earlier about a body scan. Did I talk about a body scan? No. No, I didn't. Thinking. (laughs) Yes. I was talking about being walking around as a headless person. So one of the first things that I do with my clients is I teach them to do what's called a body scan. And what a body scan is, is it's just integrating the body back into the brain because your brain is inside your body. And so really then being able to connect your body. This is something that we don't learn as young women. We do not learn. In fact, we learn the opposite, as I did mention, to disconnect from our bodies. And so what this is doing is it's just learning your body has innate wisdom. 
some of the women who are listening to this, or you probably have men too, but um, some of the people listening right now probably knew that there was something wrong in their bodies before they got their diagnosis. And that was actually what spurred them to go to their doctor. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about having that innate wisdom of your body. Now, many of us are disconnected. So if you are someone who did not have that, it's totally not uncommon that you would first get that inkling when you received the diagnosis from your doctor. But that being said, the food that we eat, the way that we move, our lifestyle factors will all impact how we feel. And so what, and you had talked about this also, mentioned it when you were talking about body positivity and the cakes. I want my clients to eat cake, but we all have a different threshold for how much cake we can have in our diet and not feel the negative consequences of eating the cake. And what the negative consequences might be is a little bit different for everybody. Again, going back to that body scan, understanding how food makes you feel. So one of the things that you may experience is sluggishness or tiredness or a lack of energy, like a few hours after you eat cake, or you may get night sweats and hot flashes from having too much flour or sugar in your diet. You might also feel just, yeah, overall lethargic. So like one thing that's, I think, important is to understand how your body responds to different foods. And so I like the idea of having, it's kind of like a minimum baseline. What I teach my clients is something called B minus habits. We always want to go for B minus. And the reason we want to go for B minus and not A plus is because your brain is always going to tell you that you could have done something better. Like you could have a perfect day of eating and your brain will be like, "Uh, uh, uh, not so fast. You did overeat that broccoli a little bit, or you don't get uh, points because you put butter on your broccoli and you shouldn't put butter or cheese on your broccoli. You should be able to eat it steamed, even though you don't really like it steamed. So like your brain is never going to allow you to check that box and say, I was perfect today. So. By going through and doing things at a B minus level, as you go through your day, as you go through your months, as you go through your years, your B minus is actually going to get better. And so I think about the 30 year old version of myself who was like, God, if I could just have a perfect day of eating, then I would be okay. I look at the way that I eat today from that. 30-year-old version of myself. I'm probably pretty perfect. My 54-year-old body brain does not think that I am a perfect eater. However, the 30-year-old version probably thinks that the way that I eat today is A plus work. And so over the years, I've really improved my eating just by paying attention to how food makes me feel and What has happened in the process is I've cultivated a better relationship with food. 
I no longer use exercise as a way of punishing my body. And by taking the stress off of my body to perform in a way, so I'm eating and exercising so that you body will look a certain way. What's happened is my body has actually thanked me by being able to perform for me. And so it's all come about a full circle kind of moment. So yeah, that's my answer. That makes sense. I mean, it might sound a little bit wacky for people to think, why do I need to do a body scan? Right. And that is sort of being very alert and noticing what is happening in your body and sensations in your toes and picking that up. What's that got to do with me changing my behavior towards food? But when you explain it, food Mm -hmm. isn't what we put on our plate on that particular day. Everything we do in our habits are formed from day one, from when we were born and everything that society lays on our plates and the expectations we have. And so we often think, gosh, shouldn't I be able to just sustain a healthier lifestyle? Well, guess no, because I've lived, for example, for 33 years until I had my cancer diagnosis a certain way. Of course, I can't then change my habits immediately. So my expectation of having a sustained, really healthy diet again, was unrealistic, right? Because I expected it to be a quick change. And the only reason why I was able to sustain a certain way of eating, because it was totally driven by fear. Yeah. But fear for me is the same strong feeling as guilt. And it's negative and it's uncomfortable. And they're often really strong drivers, aren't they? Yeah. And, you know, this is a really interesting thing to talk about. I want to teach a tool that I use within my practice and I use within myself and it's called the motivational triad. It's actually a Tony Robbins tool, but it helps us when we look at our past behavior and we have that question of why did I do that? Like, why did I eat that cake when I was trying to lose weight? Like, why did I do that thing that was counter to what it is that I say that I want? And what the motivational triad is, is it's, it allows me to have more compassion with myself, my past self and my present self. And it goes along with the body scan because all humans, all of us make decisions based on the motivational triad. The motivational triad says that we as humans are always going to seek pleasure over pain and we are going to do it as efficiently as possible. And so when we can look at our past behavior through the lens of the motivational triad, and I ask myself, why did I eat that chocolate? Why did I eat those crisps? Why did I eat that cake? I can also ask myself, what was I feeling? What was the pain or the discomfort that I was trying to get away from? Why was chocolate or crisps or whatever that I was seeking a more pleasurable source? And why was it easier? And what that allows me to do is say, well, of course I made that decision. I didn't have any other tools maybe, or I didn't have any other food that was readily available because oftentimes we'll beat ourselves up about, well, I knew better. I knew better than to eat that thing. Or I knew better than to, you know, um, 
fight with my partner or I knew better than to do this thing. Why did I do that? Well, because it was the easiest tool available to you at the moment. And so when we can really sit with that and have compassion for the past version of ourselves, it can start to then allow us to be more human with our current version of ourselves Mm. and then our future versions. I love that because I think so many of us and in the conversations we have, we really struggle with a little bit of self-compassion. It's so much easier, isn't it, to be really helpful and really supportive with a really good friend. And it is so much harder to bring that neutral or even positive language into my own little conversations in my own head because so many evenings I go to bed and I still don't think I've done enough and I've worked so hard (laughs) on so many days and I guess it's almost like we need to relearn and remind ourselves that we're doing so much every single day just by showing up right just in the morning for the first hour I get so much shit done Yeah, I try and make healthy pack lunch for my children. I want to make them a healthy breakfast. I want to eat well. I shower. I take the dog for a walk. I quickly put a wash on. Like by nine o'clock, I've made a lot of effort. And I can recognize that in all of my clients and in all of the people I work with. And it's so hard to recognize that for yourself. And I think what you have reminded me today is to start recognizing my own efforts again, how I talk to myself, my own relationship with food my own criticism towards me and that I really don't want to be a nice girl anymore, Elizabeth. Yay. (laughs) I mean, there is so much food for thought. I think if anything, I'm going to put in the show notes, a few questions that people can ask themselves. Yeah. So that when they have listened to us, they can ask themselves and be really inquisitive about why they do things, why have they been conditioned to look at their bodies a certain way? Have they been socialized into maybe um, being too much of a critic towards themselves? It's fascinating stuff. And, you know, when I think about the women who have gone through cancer and had the diagnosis, are going through treatment, like we rarely prioritize ourselves. And if there's one time that you should prioritize yourself, it's right now. Like life is too short and just stop the people pleasing. I know that I don't, I shouldn't be preachy, but stop the people pleasing and like serve yourself. If there's one analogy that I really hate, it's the oxygen mask analogy which states that we should all take care of ourselves, practice self-care so that we can take care of others. And I want to change it that we should take care of ourselves. We should practice self-care, eating, exercising, going to sleep on time, managing your stress, stop the negative inner critic in your brain because you're a freaking human being and you deserve it. Like, You would not wish any of this stuff on your daughters. So really stopping doing it to yourself, like anything that you wouldn't want your daughter to go through or your best friend or your mother or your aunt or sister, whoever treating yourself like you are your best friend. Thank you, Elizabeth. I shall send you regular updates of the new version of the not so nice (laughs) Danny. (laughs) 
Awesome. It was amazing talking to you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So my lovely lot, we're back. Elizabeth and me are back. There is no official outro from me today because Elizabeth and I kept on nattering and Elizabeth has shared with me such an amazing tip and trick that I can't let her go without her telling you, all of you, this. Elizabeth, go on, share with everyone. <laughs> so I was telling Danny that her her last comment about going to bed and having, you know, I haven't done enough. I was offering her a book. Um, the book is titled The Gap in the Gain, and it's by Benjamin Hardy and Dan Sullivan. And the idea behind the book, and it's a fantastic book, I, I recommend it to everyone, is that whenever we embark on a journey, um, maybe it's to improve your health habits, or maybe it's to, well, for many folks, it might be that once I get through this diagnosis, once I get through this phase, then I can be happy. And so we always are tracking our progress against the goal. So once I get to 135 pounds, then I can be happy. Once my kids get out of college, then I can be happy. Once this thing happens, then I can be happy. And so we're delaying happiness. So when we do that, we're actually living in what they call the gap. Instead, what we want to do is we want to live in the gain. And how we live in the gain is by measuring backwards, by looking at how far we've come. So if you've started embarking on a weight loss journey, for example, and your goal was to lose 15 pounds, instead of saying, well, I only have 12 more to go. I only have 10 more to go. I only have nine more to go. You should look at how far you've come because oftentimes we discount those, that progress. And so we can say, well, I've already lost three pounds. I've already lost four pounds, five pounds, six pounds. So measuring backwards will allow us to actually be happy in the moment as opposed to delaying happiness until we've reached the goal because our brain is only going to allow us to be happy for like a minute. And so that's what I wanted to share with you. Thank and you. it's a fantastic book. <laughs> and there are so many things I can now think of, like to think I've often thought when I have a really healthy diet, I'm going to be really ha happy. Yeah. But instead I could have thought every day, wow, Danny, you've eaten kefir today. You had kimchi, you had kombucha. Like I yeah. could list so many exciting things and the same with weight. And people might think, wow, I'd be really happy once I've lost that weight. And it's so fascinating. So now you have to tell us where we can find your podcast, because that's what I usually would do on an outro. So you've got to do my job for me. <laughs> okay, so um, you can find me at um, Done With Dieting Podcast. You can find me on Instagram at Done With Dieting Podcast. On Facebook, I'm at Total Health by Eliz, and my website is elizabethsherman.com. Thank you so much. And I promise that I will let you go now. <laughs> 